Our Old Testament lesson comes from Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah chapter 63, hear now the word of our God, starting in verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 63. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths? Like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Look down from heaven and see, from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart so that we fear you not? Return. For the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you are angry, and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burnt by fire. And all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? This is the word of the Lord. Here at the end of Isaiah, 
prophet is setting up the, the, his final prophecy of, of the coming of the one, the, the son of God, the son of man, the one who will come in our flesh. But here in chapter 63 especially, he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. Every week we confess that we believe that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. Why do we call him the Lord and giver of life? You could think back to creation when you're told the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, brooding over the deep, and then God brought forth from this deep all life. He is truly the Lord and giver of life. Now, our psalm of response in Psalm 104 points to another part. Speaking of the animals, the psalmist says to God, when you hide your face, the beasts are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Notice that in that case, it uses the word created, but it's not referring to the creation. It's referring to providence. It's referring to God's ongoing giving life to the creatures, all creatures, all things that have breath, all things that have life are given life by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is not just the Lord and giver of life in the beginning, as though God sort of gave life and then sort of let life do its own thing. But the Lord and giver of life, the Holy Spirit, is the life giver of all that has breath throughout all of history. Job reflects on this in Job 33 when he says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. My life is given by the Spirit of God. Not just, not just Adam in the beginning, but you. And indeed, your cats, your dogs, your, the, the mouse that's running in, in your walls. All living things are given life by the Spirit of God. He is the Lord and giver of life. But that's why we shouldn't be surprised, as we hear in Isaiah, of how the, the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life for eternal life as well. Because when God called Israel my firstborn and called Israel out of Egypt, he led him by his Spirit through the wilderness, that, that glory cloud, the, the glory of the Lord that appeared and led Israel through the Red Sea and appeared at Mount Sinai. This was none other than the Holy Spirit himself. That's why Isaiah said, Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? When the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, who led them through the depths like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. The Spirit of the Lord brought them into the land and gave his people a glorious name. The same Spirit who gave life at the creation, who gives life to all living things, is the same Spirit who brings the life of the new creation. Our New Testament lesson comes from John chapter 14. John chapter 14, hear now the word of our God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do also the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus opens and closes this section by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Anybody have troubled hearts in the last couple of years? <laughs> Does it seem at times as though Jesus' kingdom will never come? Things are not the way they should be. We are not the way we should be. Jesus says to you, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, in chapter 13, Jesus had just told them that he is about to be betrayed. Jesus has just told them that Peter is going to deny Jesus. So in their world on that night, things are not the way they should be. 
We are not the way we should be. But Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. All of this is part of what my Father is doing. I have come for this purpose. Indeed, in John 13 through 17, Jesus is telling his disciples the things that they most need to hear. And because you are Jesus' disciples, Jesus is telling you the things you most need to hear. John 17 will make it clear that Jesus is not just speaking to the eleven, but to you who have believed through their preaching. Is that how you think of yourselves? Do you think of yourselves as those who have believed through the apostles' preaching? Because that's, that's who you are. And that's how Jesus thinks of you. And one of the first things that Jesus says that you need to know is the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that's at the very heart of what Jesus is telling his disciples is what you need to understand in order to in order that your hearts might not be troubled, in order that you might have the peace of Christ, you need to know who Jesus is in relation to the Father and how the Holy Spirit has what the Holy Spirit has to do with all this. Because when you understand this, when you see this, and when you experience it in your life, that is what brings the peace of the triune God to his people. Now, as we're going through the creed, we've come to the section on the Holy Spirit, and I particularly I like the way the Heidelberg Catechism puts this. So actually, the outline in your bulletin is simply a quotation from the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? Well, first, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Uh, one of the, the in, in, as the early church was wrestling with the doctrine of the Trinity, one of the clinching arguments that they, they came to was that what Jesus said to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God does not share his glory with others. So if God reveals his name as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then the Son and the Spirit must be equal with the Father. And you see this laid out in John 14. John 14 is built around the basic statement that we will always be with Jesus. If I go, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And this prompts three questions from the disciples, and those three questions kind of structure John's retelling of the story, because Thomas asks, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus gives the famous answer, I am the way. Yes, you know the way, because you know me. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How can you know the Father? If you know the Son. Because the Son is the way to the Father. And, and so then Philip asks, secondly, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus says, don't you know me yet? <laughs> Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus says, I am the Son. I am going to the Father. And when I go to the Father, you will do greater works than me. How can we do greater works than Jesus? That sounds crazy. It's not because we're greater than Jesus, but 
Rather, it's that when the Son of God is enthroned at the right hand of the Father, he will do greater works through his church. And you are the evidence of this. After all, how many people came to faith in Jesus Christ during Jesus' own life and ministry on earth? A rather small group in a very small circle. But greater works than these have been done ever since, as now the gospel has reached the wilds of northern Indiana. If we sometimes think of ourselves as being the center of the story, but we're, we're really way out on the periphery. And the gospel has now come even here. And Jesus promises to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. This, this helper is the, in Greek, the parakletos. The, it's a legal term for an advocate or a counselor. The Father will send an advocate who partly advocates on our behalf, but also advocates with us as to, in helping us to do that which is right. And the helper is named the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit will open our eyes to the truth that we might rightly see the Father and the Son and also to rightly see ourselves, our sin, our misery. This is a spirit that the world cannot receive because the, the world is blind in sin. The world refuses to acknowledge the Father and rebels against the commands of Christ. But this is a spirit that Jesus says that you know, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Uh, th that will be in you is a reference to what's going to happen at Pentecost just uh, a few weeks later. Jesus says that the coming of the Spirit will be his own coming. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The work of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit are so interwoven that the coming of the Spirit is the coming of Jesus to his church. Because Jesus, as, as we've seen already in the previous weeks, if Jesus had been raised from the dead but never ascended to the Father, I mean, sure, it'd be kind of cool have Jesus still walking on earth, be like, wow, that, he's amazing. But if he never sends the Spirit, then how will our hearts be changed? And how will the gospel go to the ends of the earth? Because Jesus will be limited to being in one place at a time. But when he ascends to the right hand of the Father and sends his Holy Spirit, now Jesus comes to each of us. Jesus comes to all of us. Jesus dwells with his people by his Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says, I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. And Jesus explains this by saying in verses 19 and 20, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This is talking about the mutual indwelling of the Father and the Son. But not just you know, perichoresis. It's a great doctrine. But it's a great doctrine because of where Jesus says this goes. As I dwell in the Father, the Father dwells in me, and now we will dwell in you. This is what we've been talking about in recent weeks, about the importance of uncreated grace. That it's not just that God gives us good gifts and does nice stuff for us, but he gives us himself. I, mean, I 
I still think that that term uncreated grace is a, is a great one to sort of shake, shake our minds a little bit. Because we're just, grace, we, we, we always talk about grace. Ah, oh, isn't the grace of God wonderful? But what is the grace of God? The basic point that Jesus is making is the grace of God is the gift of himself. That the Holy Spirit will dwell not, not just with us. You see, that was in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit dwelt with them. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We've seen in Joshua how the, 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 the tabernacle was taken across the Jordan River. And, okay, good, the Holy Spirit is going with them into the land. But you know the story. How does Israel do? <laughs> Not so good. Things aren't the way they should be. We aren't the way we should be. Something's got to change. What's it going to change? God sends his own son in our flesh, and he pours out his Holy Spirit upon his church so that the uncreated grace, God himself, I mean, what is uncreated? Only God is uncreated. There's nothing else that's uncreated. Uncreated grace is not some mystery substance. Uncreated grace is the Holy Spirit. Uncreated grace is Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. Uncreated grace is God the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the uncreated grace that Jesus says we will not just be with you, but in you. This is, the, this is the promise of the Father that will be poured out on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit is the presence of the risen Christ as the Lord Jesus comes to his church through his Spirit. That's as in verse 25, Jesus says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit will remind you. The Father will, will send the Spirit in the name of the Son to teach them all things. Just as we are to ask the Father in the name of the Son, so also the Father gives the Spirit in the name of the Son. Because the kingdom of God revolves around the name of Jesus. His name, his authority, his power are at the heart of the gospel. And in his name, God speaks to us by his Spirit. And in the gift of the Holy Spirit, we receive the peace of God. As Jesus says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. The presence of the Holy Spirit brings a peace that is not like the world's peace. The, the peace of Christ doesn't mean that everything around you is going well. Things around you are going the way they go. <laughs> the peace of Christ brings a peace within you, an internal harmony even when everything around you is in discord. But then the Heidelberg Catechism also says that secondly, the Holy Spirit is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits to comfort me and to remain with me forever. Jesus says the Spirit is given as the helper, as the comforter, the advocate. And, and he says the Spirit is another comforter, verse 16. Jesus is the first comforter. He is our advocate who sits at the right hand of the Father. The Spirit is another comforter, another advocate, because as Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and his Spirit is poured out upon his church, therefore we have one who dwells with and in us. Because of the mutual indwelling of the persons of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as Jesus says, I am in the Father.
that the Father is in me, and the Spirit is in them, and now the Spirit being in us connects us to Jesus and to the Father. The same Spirit who came upon Jesus in his baptism is the same Spirit who comes upon you in your baptism, so that you are united to the life of God by faith. The coming of the Spirit is the coming of Jesus to dwell with his people. Through the Spirit, Father and Son come and make their home with us. Through the mutual dwelling of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now comes to be shared with us. I in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Everything in the Christian life is rooted in this uncreated grace. You will not comprehend our Father's love for you until you know Jesus. Because when you know Jesus, you know the Father. And because of this mutual indwelling, because of the perichoresis of the Father and the Son, because you have fellowship with Him, and when you know Him, when you know the one who is one with the Father, then He comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit, and we are joined to the life of God. And when you see the Father's love for us, revealed in His beloved Son, empowered by His Holy Spirit, then the result is that we love Jesus. And when we love Jesus, we keep his commandments. Love and obedience are not two different things. If your child says to you, I love you, Mom, but I'm not going to clean the room. Well, what sort of love is that? If your spouse says, I love you, but I won't do the dishes. That's not really love. Now, in the same way, obedience without love can be just as hideous. I'll do what you say, but I hate your guts. Yeah. Love and obedience in, are, work together in, in sweet harmony. They're, they go together. That's what Jesus says. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. That's the flip side of, if you love me, keep my commandments. How do you know that you love Jesus? Because the one who loves Jesus does what he says. Well, uh, I, 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 I fail every day. Does that mean I don't love Jesus? Yes. Your biggest problem is that you don't love Jesus. This is why Jesus came, by the way. Because this is our problem. You know, the whole thing about how the world isn't the way it should be, we aren't the way we should be, this is the problem. We don't love Jesus. But this is what uncreated grace is all about. Because God knew that we are really, really bad at this. He knew that left to ourselves, we would never be able to dig our way out. And so he sent his only begotten son to join himself to our humanity in order that he might join us to himself. Jesus ascended to the Father and sat down at his right hand so that one who bears our flesh might be our advocate at the right hand of the Father. And that's why he poured out his Holy Spirit on us so that we might share in the life of God. Look back at Judas's question in verse 22. Remember, it's not, it's not Judas Iscariot, it's the other Judas. Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Judas has not yet understood what's happening. He still thinks in terms of an 
earthly kingdom in which Jesus' actions will be outward and obvious to everyone. And Jesus answers, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And then he adds, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The one who says he believes in Jesus but does not do what Jesus says does not really love Jesus. So, okay, we got ourselves a problem here. We, we've, just, we've just proven to ourselves and to everybody else that we don't really love Jesus. So, how do you love Jesus when you have failed to love Jesus? Repent. Turn away from your loveless world and turn to the one who is love. He came not because we first loved him, but because he loved us and gave himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So when you've demonstrated that you don't love Jesus, repent. Because, you see, even, even when you've sinned, you can still love Jesus by repenting and turning away from your sin. I, I keep quoting the Shorter Catechism on Repentance because I, I really hope that all of you have it memorized really soon. Repentance unto saving life. Saving life. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. Yeah, I've got to memorize great. Whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. I used to think that the important thing about repentance was asking for forgiveness. Where is that in the Catechism's definition of repentance? A sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Yeah, there's nothing in there about asking for forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness is not an essential part of repentance. After all, what are you doing when you're asking for forgiveness? You're putting the burden on the other person to do something. Now, God has told us that we are free to do this to him every time. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So go to him with that one. God, please forgive me. With one another, be careful. I, I realized this when one day when I was asking my wife to forgive me and realized that I had just put her in a terrible spot. Because I, I mean, how do, you, how do you love Jesus when you've sinned? Repent. Recognize your sin for what it is. You have sinned against God. You've sinned against others. Also, apprehend the mercy of God in Christ. This is why God gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. Grieve over your sin. Hate your sin. When you're repenting, you need to say to God, I have wronged you. I have blasphemed your holy name by my words, my deeds, my thoughts. And when you're repenting to others, say, I've hurt you. I've wronged you. It's why the gospel is incomplete without the sending of the Holy Spirit. Without the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
Without the uncreated grace of God's own presence with us, there really is no good news. Apprehend the mercy of God in Christ, that he sent his son to die for you, that he sent Jesus to pay the price for your sin. But repentance unto life is then turning from your sin, turning to God, turning to Jesus, and by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, beginning to make right the wrongs that you have done. Because repentance unto life always includes that grief and hatred of sin, turning from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. When we, when we focus on asking for forgiveness, it puts the burden onto the other person to now, oh, are you going to forgive me the way God says you have to? That's their job. It's not your job. When you're repenting, you're saying, I failed. I hurt you. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that, and I promise I will strive not to do that again. And that's where the other, the other person at that point, hopefully, will say, I forgive you. <laughs> but it's not your job to put them in that spot. It's your job to turn away from your sin, not to put other people in a difficult spot regarding you. Just, if we love God, then we will obey his commands. And when we failed at that, we'll repent and seek to love him and love those around us. But this is why Jesus sent the helper, which, remember, helper here is, it's the, it's the advocate. It's, this is a, a, that legal term. Because we need one who will advocate both to us and for us. Uh, we'll see next time that the Holy Spirit is involved in convicting the world if, of sin and of judgment. But part of what Jesus is, is telling us is that he is going to manifest himself to his disciples and not to the world, by the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is the presence of the risen Christ. The Spirit is the other comforter who will come to us and remind us of what Jesus has said. So we're back to where we started at the end of the chapter. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus says, yes, I'm going away. But that's a good thing for you. Because if I go away, I will send the Spirit. If I do not go, the helper cannot come. If Jesus doesn't go to the Father, then he can't send the Holy Spirit. Only one who sits at the right hand of the Father can send his Spirit. The work of redemption must reach its final goal in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In this sense, Pentecost is just as much an important part of our salvation as, as Easter. Pentecost, when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is what brings the presence of God himself to his people. Indeed, when Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, it's, it's only this Trinitarian understanding of love that brings peace. Because God himself comes to us by his spirit. Let not your hearts be troubled. Later in chapter 16, at the end of his discourse, Jesus will say, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In the gift of the Holy Spirit, we receive the peace of God. But the, the peace of Christ, again, is not, is not external harmony, but internal harmony, even when the world around you is a braying din. Uh, and this is part of the reason why I, I like doing these catechetical series, because, because 
how do we get this deeply rooted in us? Uh, this is where there's no, there's no guarantee that by memorizing the shorter catechism that will sort of, sort of bring, bring you peace. I've known plenty of people who that, that's not what happened. But memorizing the Shorter Catechism, Heidelberg Catechism, sort of even, you know, starting with the, you know, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, great place to start. Because when you get the vocabulary down, when you get the grammar of what's the basic point, then that helps you stabilize in the midst of the chaos. B.B. Warfield once told the story of, of a man in a bustling town in the Old West who yeah, the rowdies were brawling in the street. The saloons were full of carousing. Gunshots were going off around. He sees a young man walking tall and erect through the melee. And as he watches this young man pass by, their eyes met. And the old man walked up to the young man and put his finger on the young man's chest and said, What is the chief end of man? Without missing a beat, the young man replied, Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The old man smiled. I knew you were a shorter catechism boy. <laughs> because one who has that, if, if, you, if you know whose you are, if you understand sort of what you're doing here, then no matter what's happening around you, the peace of Christ continues to dwell in your hearts. When you have the Holy Spirit, that means that no, no matter what's going on around you, you're, you are connected to the God of the universe. His life is now in you. And so whatever happens to you, you can be confident that he will continue the work that he has begun in you until the day of Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your work in us. We thank you for your spirit, who you, whom you have given to us, that we might have life through him. And and we ask that you would have mercy upon us for Jesus' sake, that you would, you would help us to remember these things, that we might repent and believe your gospel day by day as we walk before you. In Jesus' name, amen.